Well, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to continue our series, our God is series. We've been in this for all of 2020. And we're, we've moved into, as we talked about last Sunday, we've moved into our season of going. Uh, our four missional statements as a church uh, are no, grow, serve, go. So Thrive Church exists to help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and then going into all the world. And so that's our focus here over these next few months. Uh, just a quick note, uh, as mentioned last week, and then an email went out this week as well, the Lectio Divina journals are ready to go. If you would like a paper copy of the journals, please go to thriveglendor.org. There's a form that you can fill out, put your address in. We want to make sure we have the right mailing address for you, and we will send you a journal. Uh, you also have the option as well, if you want to just pick it up here uh, at the Thrive Center, we, uh, you're welcome to do that. We just need to know how many to print, so please let us know. Also, the digital version, the PDF version, is available on the website, and you can download that. And I just encourage you, I invite you to join us in the daily reading over these next few months uh, through the end of 2020. Uh, as we just look at Scripture and discover who God is, asking that question, who is God? How, how does he function? What's his nature? What's his character? How does he, he engage with his creation? And what is he calling us to? Uh, God's word is full of clues of, of who he is. And, and really, some of those clues are very obvious, as we're going to talk about even in the passage we're looking at today. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about God sending us as a church. We talked about the mission of God, missio Day, that God has a mission in the world, that he is at work, that he has been at work from the moment uh, of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell, when they, they gave in to temptation and, and sinned against God, and there was that brokenness that came uh, in the relationship between God and man, that God has been on a mission to restore mankind, to restore that relationship, and so he has been on the move ever since then, and we are invited to partner with him and to join him in his mission, in his work in the world, that, that God is a missionary God, that he sent his son, that Jesus was sent into the world to reach us, to save us, to die on the cross for our sin, um, and that Jesus is sending us. We talked about that last Sunday, that Jesus has sent us in the same way that the Father has sent the Son. And we're going to continue looking at that today. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the, the, that, that portion of Scripture where Jesus says to the disciples to go into all the world and to make disciples and to baptize them and teach them to obey everything that he had commanded. Uh, a sister passage to Matthew 28 is found in Acts chapter 1, uh, and that's what we're going to focus on today for our time together. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, and we'll have the words here on the screen as well. So let's start here in verse 4. It says this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And going into verse 6, he says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his 
own authority. In verse 8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in all of the world. This is a reflection and it's a reminder of what he had already told them in Matthew 28, that he was calling them to go, that he was sending them to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples. And, and he reaffirms that here. And I'd like to take a few minutes today and just break down this passage. There's three distinct parts to what is written here. Of course, the, the book of Acts is written by Luke the Apostle Luke, and it's really a continuation of the book of Luke and what he wrote in that place. And uh, some great detail here in, about the life of Jesus. The, all of the life of Jesus and the story of what he did was, is contained in the Gospels. And, and here in Acts chapter 1, we have the only portion that's outside of the Gospel is right here in these first few verses of chapter 1. And it's worth our time to stop and to, to revisit and look at these passages uh, and, and understand what we discover about who God is in this. So we're going to look at three parts of what happened. So this, this all takes place after the resurrection. We find in Acts chapter 1 here, this is following the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to the disciples on multiple uh, occasions. And, and this particular instance in Acts chapter 1 would be the final time that he's with them before he ascends into heaven. In fact, right after verse 8 that we just read, verse 9 says that before their very eyes he was taken up into heaven. And so this is a, this is a marker moment in the life of Jesus and his ministry and his encounter with the disciples. So it's worth us really pressing in and saying, okay, what's going on here? What did Jesus say? What, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the occasion? What's the, what's the command? What's the nuances that we find here? So the first is this, part one. We're going to look at verses four and five. In part one, we see this. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And really, it's a, it's a reaffirmation of a promise he had already made. So let's look at verse four and five. It says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. I'm going to stop there. While he was eating with them. I love this. It's this reminder that Jesus wasn't just about business. He wasn't just about getting the work done. He wasn't a taskmaster. He wasn't driving them. This invitation that flows flowed out of relationship, that he cared about them, that he wanted to be with them. And, and throughout his time on earth, throughout his time in ministry and being with the disciples, there, there were so many places in scripture where we see Jesus just being with them, breaking bread, bread sharing a meal. In fact, Eating was a big part of his ministry. It was a big part of the culture, of course, in that time. But Jesus intentionally would sit with them and be with them. And I often wonder, like, as Jesus traveled, as he walked to these different places with the disciples, what were their conversations like? What were the things that weren't recorded in Scripture? How did, how did those moments unfold? But, but here he is, he's eating with them, as he did in the upper room before he was betrayed, before he went to the cross. He's spending time with them in fellowship. And in the midst of this, he says to them, he gives this, this command. So, so picture it. It's not, it's not a general giving a command to his soldiers from kind of his high horse, if you will. 
it's, it's a friend sitting around a table, and then he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay where you are and wait here for the gift my father has promised. You've heard me talk about this, he says. You've heard me talk about this gift. He's, he, Jesus, in other times, had said to them, my father is going to give this gift. In fact, in one, in one place, he says to them, it's, it's beneficial for you that I go, because when I go, then the Holy Spirit will come and that you will receive this power. And then he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he references his cousin John, John the Baptist, who had gone around baptizing people in water. Uh, in fact, John himself, in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, made that statement and echoes what Jesus says here. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This recognition that Jesus would bring a special kind of power so there's this, out of this fellowship and this community and this friendship, Jesus says, don't leave. Stay where you are. See, Jerusalem wasn't their home. The disciples, for the most part, were not from Jerusalem. They were from the region of Galilee, about 100, 110 miles north of Jerusalem. And so they were not in their home community when Jesus gives them this command. And he says, don't don't go back to Galilee. Don't rush back to the place that's most familiar to you. And I wonder about why, why would that be the case? Why did Jesus want them to stay? Well, I think there's something about when, when we get back to our usual lives and our regular routines, when we get back to what really what a lot of us would call normal, I think sometimes it's in the normal things, in the, in the regular routines, that it's easy to forget about what God has called us to do. I believe that Jesus here is saying to them, don't leave this place. Don't leave this space. It's not a, a comfortable, familiar space for you. Don't go back to what's normal and miss what I have for you. Have you ever noticed how often God works during the unusual moments of our lives? When things go kind of sideways, and, and now I know this, I'm saying this in the midst of 2020, where it seemed the whole, seems like the whole world has gone sideways, where this has not been usual by any means. And in fact, so much of our conversation is, I can't, I can't wait for things to go back to the, the way they were. It's funny, I was watching a movie the other day that was sh- you know, shot years and years ago, and, and in the movie, just just casual movie people were in a place gathered together and milling about and it might is it like a party or something and and they're talking to each other and in the back of my mind I'm thinking man that's back in those times when they didn't have to physical distance and no one's wearing a mask and 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 kind of like my heart in the midst then the movie had nothing to do with sickness or disease or any of that but in my in the back of my mind in my heart I find myself longing to go I want to I want to go back to that time where we could just go anywhere and do anything. And maybe you feel that same way. But I know this in my own life. That it's in the moments that are difficult, in the moments that are not usual, in the moments that are uncomfortable, that God tends to meet me the most. Where I tend to hear his voice the most. Where if I will stop and listen and wait on him, that I will receive something. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Don't go back to normal. Don't just go back because he knows that in a few moments he's going to be taken up to heaven. He knows what's about to transpire. And his, his caution to them is, don't, when, when things change, 
don't rush back to what you know. Which is interesting because after Jesus was crucified and, and died, that's exactly what they did. They went back to what they knew. Jesus says, wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. See, normal isn't always what it's chalked up to be. It's in those places where we would trust God in, in the places that are uncomfortable, in the times that are unsettling, in the things that are, are not fun, that we would say, God, what are you doing? How are you moving? And we would wait on him and say, God, I want to receive from you. And the great thing is this, here Jesus is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, but there's a reminder here for us that God's word is full of promises for you and for me, and that we would lay a hold of those promises, and we would wait for those things, and we would listen to what God is saying. So Jesus says to them, wait here, and you will receive this thing that has been promised, the Holy Spirit. You will receive the the promise of the Father, and that's exciting. It's exciting when something's been promised to you and you've been waiting and, and that day is coming. I know here in a couple of months, it's going to be Christmas. And I, I remember as a kid, and I know with my kids and even for me and maybe for you as well, when there's this anticipation of something that you were promised or you're expecting for Christmas and on that morning you, you wake up and you receive that gift and, and how amazing, how fulfilling, how exciting that is. Well, here's something that the... That, that Jesus has been dis, just promising to the disciples, saying, I, I want to give you this incredible gift. And he's saying, it's imminent. If you will wait, you will wait in this place. Don't leave. My Father will give you this gift. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is a promise, by the way, that is, is, is seen in the Old Testament and the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 44, 3 prophesied about the fact that Jesus would come and that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, Joel 2.28, which Peter recites when he, after he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's the passage, that's the scripture uh, and the prophetic word that he, he, uh, that he quotes in that moment when they've been filled, that in those days, in these last days, that my spirit will be poured out on all people. On, on your sons and your daughters, your young men, your old old men, your young woman, your old woman, and, and there's going to be prophecies and dreams and visions. And, and to see these promises and these prophecies fulfilled is just an amazing thing, and the disciples are right in the middle of this. So I want to move to the next part, though, because that's exciting. Jesus gives them this clear command, and he's been talking about these things already with them after, well, before the crucifixion, and then after the crucifixion, he's given them these commands, told them what he's calling them to do, telling them he's going to be sending them. And their response right after this is pretty staggering. So let's take a look at verse six. He says this to them in verse six. Then they gathered around him and asked him, okay, they gathered around him. So, so they're all in one place. They're eating. They're probably milling about. And Jesus gives this promise. You're going to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive this power. You're going to receive this gift. And so they press in close. They lean in close. There's this excitement. There's this kind of this palpable tension in the room. And they say to him, they come close and they say, Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
it would be easy to just kind of read over this passage and move on to the next part, which is a, is, a, is a great portion of Scripture. But there's something in here that we need to catch. Jesus has just told them and has been telling them that they're commissioned, that they're called, that they're going to be empowered, that the life as they knew it would never be the same again, and that he was inviting them into the mission of God to partner with him. And when at, at kind of the climax moment when he says, wait here, the gift of the Spirit is coming, and immediately their focus goes back to what all of Israel had been longing for with the Messiah. And that was this, that he would restore the nation of Israel, that he would get rid of the Roman rulers, that he would restore the monarchy, that he would restore their pro- prosperity, that they would once again become the nation that they thought they should be. But here's the thing. Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Essentially, he says this, no, that's not what's happening right now. Now, he doesn't give them a specific date, and he doesn't tell them exactly how it's going to transpire. But what Jesus is saying here is, you're asking the wrong question. Your focus is in the wrong place. See, he spelled out really clearly what their mission is. And restoring Israel as a kingdom is not a part of that mission. It's not what they were called to do. In fact, it's not what Jesus came to do. And remember, this isn't our mission. It's his mission. Jesus' mission was not to come and restore Israel to its former glory. Does God care about Israel? Yes. Is the restoration of Israel a part of his plan? No. And this is Israel. This is God's chosen people. This is the people he delivered out of the, the, the land of Egypt, out of slavery, established them as a nation. We read about this all through the Old Testament. And when, and when the disciples lean in and say, is this about to happen? And Jesus says, it's, it's not for you to know. This is, that's, that's God's concern. That's not your concern. See, Jesus came to restore the Father's kingdom He came to restore the kingdom of God. He came to bring God's kingdom to earth, not to restore something that was established by people. I think this is a timely word for us. As a nation, this week we're facing a national election, electing a president, and numerous other... uh, representatives and Congress people and, and all kinds of things that we're voting for. Maybe you've already voted and maybe you're still planning on it. And I encourage you, vote. The, the, the responsibility we have, the, the civic duty we have, and the, the opportunity and the privilege we have to vote is so important. So please vote, prayerfully pr- vote. Go before the Lord. Consider the issues. Consider the candidates. Look at the word of God and vote. But as a nation, as we're facing these things in the midst of a year where we're dealing with the ongoing effects of this pandemic, in a year where we've been confronted with the issues of racism and injustice that still exist in our nation, it would be easy for us to respond in the same way the disciples did and say, God, are you about to restore our nation? 
Do we pray for our nation? Yes, absolutely. Do we call out to God to move in our nation? Yes, and if you haven't been praying that way, I implore you, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our government. Pray for those in authority. Pray for them. Is the prosperity of America's, uh, of America God's ultimate goal? No, it's not. In the same way it wasn't for Israel. Does God want to move and bless Israel? Yes. Does he want to bless us? Yes. But is that his ultimate purpose? No. Is God still in control? Absolutely. There's never been a moment in time where he stopped being in control. In fact, Jesus uses this word, his own authority. That God is, is the one in ultimate authority, in, ulti- in the place of ultimate in control. But he's saying to the church, he's saying to us as his believers, in the same way that he does, does, does to the disciples, my, my purpose is about the kingdom of God. And my invitation to you is to join me in the work of the kingdom. And that church has to be our focus and our priority, that we are citizens of heaven first. Now, do we, again, do we contend for our nation? Do we love our nation? And I understand even today that some of you are outside of the United States watching and listening from other parts of the world. But it doesn't matter if it's America or if it's the United Kingdom or South Africa. It doesn't matter if it's Australia or New Zealand or India or or Brazil or China or Thailand. It doesn't It doesn't matter what nation or nationality you are, that God says, I want to establish my kingdom to the ends of the earth. And ultimately, as believers, our priority is always the kingdom of God. Always. And Jesus says this to us, you are empowered to do my work in the world. You are empowered to do the work of my Father in the world. See, church, here's what we have to make sure. We need to make sure that we don't let temporal perspective, perspectives distract from God's eternal purposes. Don't let temporal perspectives distract from God's eternal purposes. What are temporal perspectives? It's the things that we can see right now in the temporary, in the, in the finite, in the limited scope that we have. We always feel like no matter where people are, have lived in history, that what, the moment that you're living in history is the greatest moment in history. And people have said that for millennia. It's the greatest time. And, it's, and, and we say those things because we're limited by our perspective. God is not limited. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we don't let temporal perspectives distract us from God's eternal purposes eternal purposes that he encourages us and invites us and commands us to join him in as his sons and daughters, to be on the mission of God. Don't let temporal perspectives distract from God's eternal purposes. Well, finally, let's move to verse eight. Part three, Jesus says this, Jesus or rather, Jesus refocuses them on the mission. He's told them what he wants to do. He wants to empower them with the Holy Spirit. They're going to receive the promise that, they, that he's been talking about. They get distracted and say, well, is this about Israel? And he goes, no, 
It's not about Israel. It's about something much bigger. It's about my father's purposes. And he refocuses them back to the mission. So let's read in verse 8. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Again, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That Jesus has promised them, he says, you're going to receive this incredible heaven, this heavenly endowed Holy Spirit power that will empower you to do the things that I've called you to do. In one place, Jesus says to them that, that when we're empowered with the Holy Spirit, that we will do the things that we saw him do and even greater things. This is what he's telling the disciples. You're going to receive this power and you're going to do my work. And you will be my witnesses. You will carry the word to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they end up doing. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the upper room and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, that power is unleashed and they begin to preach. And thousands of people give their lives to the Lord. And that small group ends up being spread all over the world. And we're here today because of their obedience to say yes to him. And that the word was spread throughout that region and ultimately to the uttermost parts of the world, to the ends of the earth. See, we will receive power not to do our mission, not to accomplish our purposes, but to do his mission, to engage in the mission of God. Jesus says that there'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he breaks us down on purpose. See, Jerusalem is your current context. It's where you currently are. That when, when it comes to living out the mission of God and loving people the way God has called us to love him, uh, to love them, to, to see, see the people that he's put in our path that need a touch from the Lord, an encouraging word to, 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 to be prayed for, to hear the gospel, to see God just living through us and, and, and being evidenced in our lives. It has to happen in your Jerusalem, in your current context. And maybe today you're like, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, that doesn't mean anything to me. And let me unpack this a little bit. See, Jerusalem is where you are. It's the place where you currently are. And, and now Jesus knows that here in a few days, they're going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, who had struggled with saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, all throughout Jesus's ministry, would be the one who would stand up under the power of the Holy Spirit and preach a message that would see 3,000 come to know Jesus. It was right there in this place, in Jerusalem. But then Jesus says, you will move beyond that. So imagine this, you, you've probably done this, I've done this, especially when I was a kid. You're at a, a lake or a pond somewhere and you throw a big old rock in that water. And that, that rock makes a, you know, it makes that cool bloop sound. And then those ripples start going out. And what Jesus is saying here is that you're gonna make an impact right where you are. But the impact, the, the, the ripples of that impact will then start to move out into different places, into to other parts. So he says, stay in Jerusalem and you will be my witnesses here. But then he goes, but then you will be my witnesses in Judea and all Judea. It's the region where they lived. It was the place where their people were and where they would congregate. 
And he says, you will, it will start spreading and, and the word of who I am and the gospel will, uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, will spread throughout this region. But then he says this, all Judea and Samaria. See, now, now, it's, now it's getting interesting because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along and, and we see that in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus says, you're going to be my witness in the place that's most familiar in your Jerusalem and all Judea, the, the, the region and your people, your people group. But then he says, you will be my witnesses in Samaria as well. I'm going to send you to the people that you don't like the people you don't get along with, the people you don't see eye to eye with, you're going to be my witnesses to them as well. And maybe sometimes for you, and, and I know it is for me as well, when God says, hey, I'm, I'm calling you to reach the people in your life, there's people I will think about and go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to them. And maybe there's people that would say, no, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Lord, I... I don't know about that people group. I don't know about that person. I don't, I don't know. You, you know how they are, Lord. And, and he goes, yeah, and that's why I'm sending you. I'm sending you. See, Samaria is maybe not so much about a geographic region. It's about a region of our hearts that becomes hard. It's a region of our hearts that becomes bitter, a region of our hearts that, that becomes closed off. And God says, oh, I need you to soften that place of your heart. And I want you to reach the people that I'm sending you to under the power that I'm going to give you because I care about them and I love them and I want you to be my witness to them. And then Jesus says, I'm sending you to the ends of the earth, to the very ends of the earth. Now, here's what's so amazing. For us to think about the ends of the earth, we have satellites, we have these pictures of the, the globe and, and there's really no part of this this planet that has not been explored or photographed by a satellite that you can't hop on google earth right now and go and and explore places that you you will never set foot in but you can go look at these incredible photos and satellite images it's not hard for us to con conceive of what the ends of the earth are but for for jesus and for the for the disciples in this moment jesus knows what he's talking about the disciples have no clue they couldn't even fathom what he meant by the ends of the earth and here's this temporal perspective and this eternal perspective that god is looking at all of the world not just geographically but all throughout time that he can see beyond the the moment that they're in to the very end of time he sees every life he sees every person he sees every situation and he says you will be my witnesses see god calls us beyond what we can fathom we let our thinking limit what God can do. And God says, I'm doing something so much greater. Now, Jesus sends them to the ends of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. Did they go to the ends of the earth? No. But through the work that they did, others have. With each subsequent generation, there have been men and women who love Jesus and are called to the mission of God. And that the word of God has been preached all over the world. God is moving and he's calling us to be a part. So he calls us to make a splash in our neighborhood and in our town and in our county and in our state and then in our nation and then to the ends of the earth. See, God's placed you where you are for a reason. 
He's dropped that rock. He's dropped who you are, the, the gravity of your presence. Listen to me, church. The gravity of your presence has been deposited where you are for a purpose. See, these were the last words of Jesus. Because right after this, literally right after he says in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the very next thing that happens is that he is taken up to heaven. These are the last words that he says. And we know this, when it comes to last words, last words are important. If you've ever watched someone at the airport who's saying goodbye to a loved one that they're not going to see for a long time, you want to make sure that those last words are good last words. If I'm saying goodbye, goodbye, goodbye to my wife and I'm going on a trip for a month, I'm not, the, the last words I say to her before that door closes are not going to be, hey, honey, pick up the dry cleaning. Not good last words. I'm going to be talking about my love for her and how much I miss her. Those words are going to have weight and importance and meaning. Here Jesus is saying these last words to them before he's taken up. And these words have value. They have weight. They have meaning. These words count. These words are significant. In church, we have to pay attention to the last words that Jesus said during his ministry here on earth. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the same call that he gives, the same command and commission he gives to the disciples, he's giving to us, he's giving to you and to me. And he's inviting us into his Missio Dei, the way that he's working I want to encourage you this week as you go about what, whatever it is you're doing, walking around your neighborhood, going to the grocery store, going to work, would you see the people? Would you notice the people in your neighborhood? Would you notice the people in your context? And, and I'm sure you have friends and you have family and people that you're familiar with. Would, would you see the people? Would you ask God to show you, to open your eyes to your community, to see the people that you've maybe not seen before? Would you ask the Holy Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to give you ways to pray for neighbors you've never met? To ask for insight, to say, Lord, how can I minister to this person or to that person? To ask for opportunities to be his hands and feet, to be his witnesses. We are his church. We are his church. And it's not that the church has a mission, but it's because God's mission has a church and we're called to go to keep our eyes on, on, on the cross, to keep our eyes fixed on the eternal purposes of God's kingdom being established on earth. That's who we are. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that the same commission that you gave to your disciples, you're giving to us. And I thank you that the same promise of the Holy Spirit is available to us. Church, I want to invite you right now, if you have not received the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a simple prayer, and we just ask the Lord, and, 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 and it doesn't even have to be a formal prayer. Jesus says that he, the Father wants to give us this gift, and then we just simply ask for this gift, and you can just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would baptize me 
with the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I want to be empowered to be your witness. So Holy Spirit, would you fill me now with power? In Jesus' name, amen. And that's it. Jesus says that you, the Father has been, the Father has given you this gift, that he has filled you. You can expect that the, the Lord will move in power, that he will release giftings and abilities in your life to be a witness for his kingdom. I also invite you today, if you're watching this service and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. And it's simply, simply asking him to be your Lord and your King, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, as the book of Romans tells us. That's, that's all it is. And so if that's you today, would you just pray this prayer with me right now? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord and my Savior. I confess, Lord, that you are, are, are King of my life. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I repent of all of the things, Lord, that I've done wrong. And I choose today to follow you. Would you cleanse me and would you make me a new creation? I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, first of all, we celebrate with you. The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices when one person repents and turns their life to Jesus. And so all of heaven is rejoicing and we rejoice with you, but we would love the opportunity to follow up with you, uh, to send you some materials and give you some direction on next steps for you to take. So if that was you today, please email us at prayer at thriveglendora.org or you can, uh, if you're watching live today, you can just say hi in the chat section. Let someone know, just, just type right in there. I said yes. And, uh, and we would love the opportunity to follow up with you. Church, I love you. I love you. I thank God for you. I, I'm so thankful that we are a part of the mission of God in the world. So go be the church. God bless you.